4th of July week edition of the show before the show podcast, and we're recording this on the 4th of July, but by the time you hear it, eh, it's going to be the 5th of July, so <laughs> we'll keep the, the patriotism references to a minimum then. But those fireworks last night, though. They were tremendous, weren't they? They, they were so good. All of the colors. Just I won't mention them because you guys saw the them explosions, too. explosions, you know. So many different colors. Colors everywhere. It was crazy. Uh <laughs> So, uh, happy 4th of July, everybody. Welcome into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City at a deserted office at MILB headquarters, MILB.com headquarters at Chelsea Market today for episode 167. Yeah, well, just the, the whole uh, MLB advanced media office is kind of flushed out in terms of people. But I'm here. Ben is here. You'll hear from Ben later. Uh, all of our night staff will be here later. Um, a lot of different people are, are working from home and stuff. But the MILB machine continues to turn uh, every day of the summer. Regardless we roll of along. It's, yeah. As always. If there, there are minor league baseball games, we'll be there. We and there are. There always minor league baseball games between april and mid-september bringing the news to you um before we get into this week's episode of the show before the show thanks for tuning in wherever you found us on apple Podcasts and google play at uh, milb.com slash podcast you can catch up on all of our old episodes you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription on your podcast service if you are so kind and uh, you can get in touch with the show podcast at milb.com sam is on twitter at sam dykstra milb i am a tyler mon let us know your questions your thoughts your comments we heard from a, a listener yesterday um who had a an interesting uh perspective on the show in that listening to us and then going to games he's kind of learned how to watch things not from us obviously but hearing from players and stuff learning how to watch games in a different context which is really neat uh it was at bill goes deep and bill uh listened to our interview with ryan bollinger in the new york yankees organization ryan who was called up to the big leagues and uh said he went and saw ryan pitch after that and said he had a whole different appreciation for his work which is pretty cool ryan had that crazy story playing all over the world and then getting called up uh to the major leagues and um yes that was that was really neat so you can get in touch you can be like bill and get in touch with the show how about that yeah we assume his name is bill his also his username is also bill goes deep yeah but yeah no we appreciate bill if that is your real name his name is like uh, kevin i'd be confused that would be true uh but yeah no it's always great to hear from folks who who say you know i heard about this guy on your show and then i saw him play a game or yeah that's pretty cool the futures game is coming up i think rosters are coming out on friday uh you'll hear a, a lot or you'll you'll be able to watch on tv a lot of the names we've been talking about for weeks and months and some of whom I'm sure will will have been on the show. I think Peter Alonzo has already confirmed that he's going uh, to the Futures game. Hunter Green, who we've talked about for a while, he's confirmed he's going to the Futures game in D.C. I will be there. We'll have some interviews that we'll use for the podcast from that uh, event in Washington. Um, so, yeah, th- we don't just do this to, you know, get some guys to talk for a little bit. These are guys you are going to hear about consistently, you know, going forward for years to come. Obviously, they're just getting their career started. So uh, always appreciate people reaching out and please continue to do so through, you know, all the variety of methods that Tyler just listed. You heard it here first. Peter Alonzo, Hunter Green, 
and Sam Dykes are all headed to the <laughs> one of these things is most <laughs> definitely not like the other yeah Washington well let's get started on three strikes three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show we are going to kick things off uh, we've been doing our system grades through the first half of the 2018 campaign uh, mid-season grades for uh, divisions all across the major leagues and uh, we had a host of writers take a division each and uh, Sam I'll let you kind of kick it off and give us the, the rundown on the division grades so far this season i'll dive into i the national league west um and we'll talk a little bit about that uh here in a moment but um give me just sort of a, a rundown of what the the consensus has been i guess not really consensus because everybody's getting a different grade but what have been the things that have stood out about this series so far yeah so just giving you a rundown real fast of, of who did all the work for this because this was most definitely a team effort and as kind of the point man on this i appreciated every the work everybody did for this so i covered the al east chris Tripodi had the al central uh our friend josh jackson had the al west everybody in this group is our friend i shouldn't just single out single out josh but hello josh uh hello, josh. An- andrew batterano had the uh, NL East, uh, Kelsey Anigan had the NL Central, and New Tyler had the NL West. Uh, you know, before the season begins, we always do a farm system rankings. We do that based on offensive players, on pitchers, on under 21 talent, and then overall, this is kind of touching base on that. We're not going to re-rank every system right now, but we will look at each of them on at an individual basis, uh, kind of see how things have gone th- here through the first three months of the season. You know, the All-Star breaks are, are past us in the minor leagues. The All-Star break is ahead of us in the major leagues. This is pretty clearly the midpoint of the 2018 campaign. A uh, good time to see, you know, what systems seem like they're really pushing their talent, really developing them well over the first three months. Uh, some of them you know, not going so great, uh, at least, you know, it, it's only a half season. So thing, plenty of time to turn things around, but, uh, it's very clear that some systems have done better than others in 2018. And we also toss in, you know, how the affiliates are doing, you know, we, we pay attention to the minor leagues. We're going to care a little bit more than, uh, some other places about how, you know, the triple a double a class, a advanced class, a full season. And now the short season teams are kind of combining into one. So, uh, with all that kind of laid down, all that groundwork discussed here, uh, I'll move into the AL East because that was the system I had. Uh, looking at the AL East, there is you know a lot to like here. Uh, the two teams I gave the highest grades to, which were A minuses, I gave A minuses to the Tampa Bay Rays and the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Blue Jays. You know, as much as we've talked about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and he's still out right now with a knee injury, although he seems to be well on track to return here soon enough, uh, he kind of obscures everything else that's happened in that system this year. And, you know, the Jays get plenty of points for developing Vlad and, and allowing him to be so successful at double A, pushing him to double A at 19 and and letting him take off the way he did. But uh, lots of other things to like here. Bo Bichette, uh, pretty much solidified his place as a top 10 prospect. He's also there at double A New Hampshire. Danny Jansen is kind of creeps being into that top 100 discussion. Uh, he's become one of the game's best catching prospects, had a breakout year last year with the bat climbing three levels this year. He's only been a triple A Buffalo, but continuing to show a strong bat and strong defensive work behind the plate. Uh, you know, he's definitely looking like the future of the catching position uh, north of the border. Kevin Smith is one of the breakout prospects of the year for me. Uh, I believe he was a fourth round pick last year out of Maryland. I got to talk to him uh, earlier in the week. Uh, he was named the Florida State League Player of the Week. That's the third time he's been named a Player of the Week. He started out this year at Class A Lansing, uh, has put together 
right as of right now, so as of Wednesday, uh, 332 average and 967 OPS between those two spots, uh, showing some good power too with 13 home runs, also stealing 15 bases. Just a really polished all-around resume. Uh, some other stuff that that's you know it, it drags it down to an A minus because Anthony Alford it hasn't quite taken off with Buffalo in the way we would have hoped. Nate Pearson took a line drive off his forearm and has been injured. Um, so it, it's not quite at that A level for the Jays, but still a lot to like there beyond just Vlad, uh, which is good. And Tampa Bay Rays, they get an A- minus as well because of what I mentioned before with the affiliates. They have by far and away the best winning percentage uh, amongst the 30 farm systems. At the time I wrote this, uh, they had a 582 winning percentage. Now, it, and that was first second place where the Astros at 556. Uh, so there is quite a line of demarcation there between the Rays and number two with the Astros. Uh, they've brought guys to the majors. Willie Adamas and Jake Bowers finally made their major league debuts after spending all of last year at Triple A Durham. Bowers has looked especially good uh, these first couple weeks with the Rays. Uh, Brendan McKay, you know, is kind of plugging along. Uh, he's expected to only miss three weeks with an oblique injury right now, but you know he's been successful on both sides as they continue to try to make him a two-way player. Jesus Sanchez, Lucius Fox have been really exciting for Class A Advanced Charlotte. Uh, Nathaniel Lowe and Brandon Lau, I think that's how you you talk yeah. to him, right? Yeah, yeah. I Brandon did. Lau he introduced himself on the phone as Brandon Lau. Right. I thought it was uh, so they are not related. Both spell their name L O W E. Uh, but have been two of the best hitters in the minors. Catcher Ronaldo Hernandez, another real breakout star there at Class A Bowling Green, used to be kind of a defensive threat almost exclusively, now has done both uh, offensively and defensively. And Wander Franco, uh, they pushed to the Appalachian League at just 17, and he's holding his own there for Princeton. Uh, so, again, a lot to like in that race system, which is I feel like is something we've said for a while now. Uh, Kind of at the other end of the spectrum, the Red Sox, I think we're the only system we gave a straight F to. Um, and I, that sounds obviously harsh, and I get that. But if we're looking at this system objectively through the first half of the season, uh, to say it's been anything but a failure, it would be almost too kind. Uh, Michael Chavis was suspended for 80 games. He just returned for a Class A short season Lowell uh, after a PED suspension. Jay Groom hasn't pitched at all. He underwent Tommy John surgery in May. Tanner Houck, their first rounder last year, uh, at the time I wrote this, had the highest whip in the Carolina League at 1.70. Brian Mata has really struggled with his control. Sam Travis, they were kind of hoping would be kind of a first base and outfield threat. Um, also, somebody who could hit left-handed pitching, being a right-hand slugger, that hasn't come to fruition. So they ended up having to trade for Steve Pierce to kind of fill that role at the major league level. Uh, you know, there have been some success stories. Jalen Beeks was that guy for a lot of the first half. I really like what I saw out of him in terms of racking up strikeouts at AAA Pawtucket. Uh, but they called him up for his major league debut. He got shellacked. Whether that's going to come again, you know, another second major league look for him is tough to see at this point with Boston. Uh, you know, they've experienced injuries already with their 2018 picks. Tristan Cassis is out with a thumb injury. Nick Decker is out with a wrist injury. Uh, those are their first and second round picks this year. You know, you don't want to take away points for injuries. Injuries are, are you know, luck-based sometimes. I know Cassis hurt his thumb diving for a ball. That's, you know, tough to, to say. But when you add with all the, you know, the lack of success stories, 
and put in with the fact that when I wrote this, they had the worst collective winning percentage among the 30 farm systems at 429. Uh, you know, there's just not been a lot to really point to with the Red Sox system so far. And they're going to be major players at the trade deadline. They've already made that trade for Pierce, like I said, uh, sending away 2016 10th rounder Santiago Espinal uh, for Pierce. You know, that's good that they can turn a 10th rounder into a major league talent. Um, but trying to find legit pieces that they're going to try to turn into, you know, major league ready talent is going to be kind of difficult as we get towards the end of this month. Be interested to see what they can do on the trade market. Um, you know, hopefully some of these guys kind of turn it around now that Chavez is playing again. Potentially he could be a success story here in the second half. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I couldn't get into even the D range with the Red Sox here through these first three months. Yeah, there are some systems that uh, just don't have a whole lot to hang hats on so far this season. In the National League West, which is the the division that I had, um, the San Francisco Giants are kind of that group. And um, not entirely surprising, uh, we've discussed on the, the show before, the Giants don't really have the stomach right now for a rebuild. While they have Madison Bumgarner and Buster Posey um, entering kind of perhaps the latter stages of their Giants careers, uh, Giants ownership really just wants to retool at the major league level and do what they can to compete up there. So there's not a whole lot in that system. And of the guys in that system, nobody's really having that great of a year. Um, we have seen some decent stuff up at the higher levels. Chris Shaw and Steven Duggar have put together pretty good years at Triple Sacramento, but um, Heliot Ramos, who is the top prospect in that organization, that organization, he's at Class A Augusta and still pretty young for the level and has put together some good games here and there, but consistency-wise just hasn't been there. Um, Tyler Beatty continues to struggle at AAA with Sacramento again this year, uh, just can't really solve that level for whatever reason and has, uh, in his very limited major league time, has struggled there as well. Uh, a couple of bright sides on the pitching side in Richmond at the AA level, Sean Anderson and Jason Barr, who have been pretty good for that team, but um, a D for the San Francisco Giants who don't have a whole lot in that system and uh, haven't really seen much from the guys that they do have in that system. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, somewhat similar in the way that they've really focused on the major league product and not building so much from the system in recent years. Um, John Duplantier, their top prospect and the only top 100 talent in that organization, got started late, um, put together seven good starts, but back on the disabled list, had a 2.52 ERA and 51 strikeouts in 35 and two-thirds innings, but didn't make his debut until April 21st. He hasn't pitched since May 27th, um, so that's a, another issue. And We talked with John on the podcast and him being a Rice guy, a Rice University product. He said one of the things that he really wanted to do was prove the reputation wrong of Rice products not being able to stay healthy as pitchers in professional baseball. And this season, unfortunately for the D-backs, that hasn't been the case for John. He's not been able to stay on the mound. Um, a lot of the talent in that organization is kind of concentrated at Visalia, the Class A advanced level club uh, in the D-back system for the top five position player prospects in that organization are in that offense. Um, but they rank third from the bottom in the California League in terms of team batting average. Pavin Smith is there, 2017 first round he hasn't really blown the doors off this season so a c minus for the arizona diamondbacks um the colorado rockies a c uh the rockies have gotten really impressive starts the season from peter lambert their uh, pitching prospect who has already been promoted to triple a albuquerque and from shortstop brendan rogers who i don't think is far behind him brendan rogers was named an eastern league all-star and has been terrific so far this season um he started the year with garrett hampson as his middle infield partner garrett hampson is already up at triple a and i would think is probably going to get a look in the major leagues before too long um but colton welker the third base prospect who really 
saw his star climb a lot uh, toward the end of last season and early on this season. Started hot this year with Class A Advanced Lancaster, and you kind of felt like, oh, man, that's the type of place where somebody like Colton Welker is really just going to go off offensively. And the numbers have been good, but they haven't been eye-popping necessarily. Uh, nine homers, um, a 311 average, and 848 OPS, and those are very good numbers. But when you think, well, he's hitting in the most offensively friendly environment in all minor league baseball, you kind of would have expected a little bit more. Now, granted, Colton Welker is still 20 years old. Um, it was a fourth-round pick back in 2016, so there's still a whole lot of time there for him, uh, even at that level, to be among um, the regulars and the average age there. Um, Riley Pint, though, is one of the big stories in that system, the former third overall pick. Uh, it has not been a good year for Riley Pint. Last year was a struggle for Riley Pint, um, and this year has been a baffling one. Last year combined uh, over 22 starts with Class A Asheville, a 2-11 and record and a 5.42 ERA. This year, he took the ball for Asheville on opening day against Delmarva on April 8th. A third of an inning, two hits, three runs, all earned, two walks, no strikeouts. He was lifted after recording just one out, and we did not see Riley Pint again on a mound until June 16th when he resurfaced with Boise, Class A short season in the Northwest League. Um, and in two starts with Boise, numbers decent in some respects, an ERA of 1.29, only gave up two runs on four hits, one run earned over seven innings of work, but he walked eight and struck out seven. That's been the big issue has been his command. Last year in total, he walked 59 against 79 strikeouts in 93 innings um two starts with Boise he has since been removed from that roster uh don't really know where he is he's still as of right now is listed on MILB.com as being active but I know there was a, a Boise sports writer last week who tweeted that he had been told by a source with the Hawks that Riley Pint was no longer on that roster um so that's a, a tough situation for the Rockies and trying to develop somebody who had as high of hopes as anybody who's come into that system pitching wise um maybe in franchise history especially with the notoriety that he came into the organization with from Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, and the fastball that touched 103 miles an hour when he was 17 and all that. Um, so that's where Riley Pint is right now. Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, it seems like everybody in that system who you were kind of expecting to take a step forward has taken a step forward. Not a whole lot left for Alex Verdugo to prove. There just isn't a spot right him at the major league level. Um, Cabert Ruiz, the catcher, is just 19 years old in A and has been terrific. And the outfielder, Yusniel Diaz, has been kind of the same way on that same team. Um, Dennis Santana has been really good on the mound. He had eight starts with A Tulsa to start the year and then jumped up to A uh, and then made his major league debut early on in June. He was actually better at A than he was a double a so he's been really good uh although he has been on the disabled list since june uh early june after making his big league debut but really good numbers to start the season uh, mitchell white is the top pitching prospect in that organization he's kind of one of the reasons why they got docked a letter grade he's really struggled in era after 11 starts of 6.33 for mitchell white um so one of the the few down stories but a down story there and then there's the San Diego Padres, and the Padres are one of the organizations that kind of puts everybody else to shame right now, and not just in the National League West, but really throughout all of baseball. The Padres are, I think, the only A that we gave in the National League, um, and they have everything going for them right now, especially at Double A San Antonio. Fernando Tatis Jr. there was slow during April and then just broke out to crush everything in Double A in May and June. He's 19 years old. Um, Luis Arias is one step up the ladder at Triple A El Paso. He's been really good and is also still very young for the level as he has been at pretty much every stop throughout his career um top pitching prospect Mackenzie Gore has struggled so far this season for Fort Wayne but there are a whole lot of other pitching prospects um who have succeeded 
everywhere they've been throughout the system. Even Cal Quantrill, who is maybe the one who has struggled most outside of Mackenzie Gore, his numbers aren't bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but you look at some of the other guys, Jacob Nix has dealt with some health stuff, but Jacob Nix has been terrific all year long. Chris Paddock has been unbelievable for Class A Advanced Lake Elsinore. 83 strikeouts to four walks uh, through 52 and a third innings by the, the point that we uh, put out these letter grades. So the Padres, just a whole lot going on in that system that you got to be really excited about if you're a San Diego fan. Um, so you can check out the rankings. They are up, uh, or the grades, they're up at MILB.com right now for the American League and the National League. And uh, a lengthy strike one, but strike one behind us. Strike two this week, Sam. All-star rosters announced all over the place. Um, AAA all-star rosters. We might talk about a little bit later on in the show. Um, AAA is always kind of a weird all-star alignment because it's some guys who have already been in the major leagues and some prospects. But, like, if you're a prospect having a great year, you're probably in the big leagues already. So AAA is kind of strange. But the AA Eastern League... A very interesting assortment of stars on that roster. A lot of the names you expected to be there. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Brendan Rodgers, Bo Burrows, Cabrian Hayes, and Tim Tebow of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies is on that roster as well. And um, first, I mean, just kind of give me your overall impressions about this group. But Tim Tebow being somebody who's been selected, uh, his numbers through 72 games, the 30-year-old left fielder, a 265 average, 335 on base percentage, 394 slugging percentage, did put together a very solid June. Uh, but kind of give me your impressions of the Eastern League All-Stars. And then let's talk about this Tebow selection a little bit. Yeah, so I'll, I'll save the Tebow thing for a little bit later. But it, it is kind of cool how uh loaded this eastern league you know there, there's two division rosters here there's the eastern division and the western division uh and the fact that there were seven top 100 prospects picked to one all-star game is pretty neat i'll say uh you know and, and i think that is kind of unique to what double a is you, you mentioned everything that goes on at triple a and if you do catch fire you're probably getting pushed to the majors uh double a it's it's a little different you know you kind of want your younger, more talented players to really get comfortable there, to really show themselves, prove themselves. And, I mean, that's what we've seen with Vlad Guerrero Jr. We've been calling for him to be called up forever before the injury. And, you know, they wanted him to just at least have, you know, a solid two and a half months there. So he stuck there. Same thing with Bo Bichette. I had somebody ask me the other day, you know, is there a point to Brendan Rodgers still being in Hartford? He was there for half a year last year. He's been really good through half a year this year. Why is he still around? I think it's because of the All-Star game in Trenton next week. I think they, you know, wanted him to get his accolades, show off his stuff a little bit. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him move up to Albuquerque after that. Uh, Peter Lambert, as you mentioned, Tyler, he's already been moved up to, to Albuquerque once he got his name added to this list. Uh, so it, it is kind of a unique situation, and, and just the fact that the Eastern League is this loaded uh, will make for a lot of fun next week at that game in Trenton. Uh, it's to be held July 11th, so exactly one week from when we're recording this. I will be there. Kelsey Hennigan will be there. Uh, I'm going to try to get a podcast interview with, with one of the Eastern League All-Stars. We'll determine that next week, so tune into this space again. And uh, Kelsey will probably be covering the Tebow issue uh, along with a couple other things. She'll be doing game work, and I'll be getting a tool shed out of it but uh, in terms of you know one singular all-star game uh this is one of the most loaded we've seen so far this summer uh and i, I you know that again that does kind of come from the fact that there are two divisions that they're they're picking from here uh you know talent usually you know cream rises to the top you know, you're always going to pick the more talented players anyways um and they're going to be the ones who perform over a half season uh, but to see that these two 
rosters loaded in the way they are is really fun and really exciting and, and will be a very fun game to watch, even if it's you know just one exhibition game. Yeah, um, the double-A the squads are always the most interesting ones. Um, the Tebow thing stands out because you look at the numbers and they're not all-star numbers um the the june numbers for tim tebow are pretty good 301 average 338 on base percentage 425 slugging percentage one home run 11 runs batted in um 22 strikeouts over his 24 games against just three walks but you know i mean an all-star game is a showcase event it's a game which you want people to turn out um i don't have any problem with this selection i think uh most people look at it and think well numbers wise he doesn't deserve to be there and he's taking away a spot from somebody who does i don't think really at the double a level i for the most part i think the guys would rather have the days off to be perfectly honest with you um and i think it's cool for the eastern league that they're going to get a chance to to show off tim tebow in their showcase event um how much this really uh, projects what we can expect for the rest of the season for him, I'm not entirely sure because the the June numbers on their face look good. When you dig a little bit deeper, maybe not so much. Uh, he did have 22 hits and 73 at-bats. Seven of those hits went for extra bases, but six were doubles, no triples, just the one homer. Again, the strikeout number is really high. Um, he's gotten progressively better as the season has gone along from April to May and May to June. If that progression continues... Yeah, maybe there's a chance we see Tim Tebow in Las Vegas at some point. Um, but I don't think that this necessarily is, man, Tim Tebow's really getting it figured out. An all-star selection, he had a good June. Um, I, I think it's, you know, it's fine as far as the all-star selection goes because of what an all-star game is. But I don't necessarily, I think the the discussion around Tim Tebow's recent surge maybe is a little bit overblown in terms of what it means um, for the long-term trajectory in this season because we've already heard, oh, well, the Mets should call him up. If nothing else, it'll fill some seats. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, I mean, if you're a Mets fan who's frustrated with the Mets right now, is Tim Tebow really going to turn you out? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> obviously, there's a lot of people who are going to show up just to see Tim Tebow because that's the, the, the aura that surrounds him. And we've seen, you know, crowds, people have gone to games from Florida – planned trips to go see him in Hartford in the Eastern League you know that type of stuff um, but uh, it is definitely an interesting selection he's the most unique story in the minor leagues in, in arguably a lot of ways and uh, probably the most unique all-star in the minor leagues yeah and you know when I think the first outcry on Twitter or maybe just basically in society these days is to say like well obviously he's taking the place of somebody and so you, I, you know I, I dug a little bit into okay you know, he's one of six Eastern League, Eastern Division outfield all-stars, uh, which is a pretty deep group as it is. I mean, you know, the, there's only a handful of teams in the Eastern Division to begin with. And the fact that they're taking six outfielders from that group. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there are six teams there. New Hampshire, Trenton, Hartford, Binghamton, Reading and Portland. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of things that have to go into play here. Uh he is the only Binghamton outfielder on the roster, so maybe they go for a little bit of representation there. I get that. Uh, there are two Hartford guys, a Redding guy, a New Hampshire guy, and a Trenton guy. Uh, the most notable among the bunch might be Sam Hilliard in terms of outfielders. The infield for the Eastern Division is loaded. Bobichet's there, Kevin Vigio's there, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Josh Ockamy, Brendan Rodgers. That's absolutely loaded. Outfield's kind of thin. Uh, 
if I could find somebody who should feel slighted that he's not there, it might be Harold Ramirez uh, of AA New Hampshire. Uh, this is his third straight season in the Eastern League. Uh, he's batting 294 with a 351 OBP and a 420 slugging percentage, hitting five homers, five stolen bases in 66 games. Again, not numbers that are going to bowl you over necessarily, but uh, you know he's got a 114 WRC plus compared to 105 for Tebow. Uh, we're kind of haggling at that point. You know, I think for a lot of the voters who are who are picking these Eastern League division teams, who's going to get you more excited for an Eastern League All Star game? Is it going to be the inclusion of Tim Tebow or Harold Ramirez, who has been here three times and you know is trying to make? Uh, you know, his second Eastern League All-Star right. team in three seasons. You kind of get where I'm get, getting at here. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a vacuum, should Tim Tebow be any kind of All-Star? Probably not. Uh, should he be a major leaguer at the end of the year? Probably not. But these decisions aren't made in vacuums. Uh, if, if there was a guy who had a WRC plus of 150 who got off, left off the roster or something like that, I would totally, you know, this would be strike one. We'd be blasting this guy's name. Uh, tagging him in our tweets, all that kind of stuff. But when you really dig down into it, is the snub that big? Not really. Nobody's going to lose sleep over this. And the event does be, become more exciting because Tebow is going to be there. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, these are exhibitions. That's what co- really counts anyways. Uh, imagine if they had a van- fan vote. You know, who, yeah. who should be the last guy on this roster? Like how Let's, Yao Ming still like leads the NBA in voting eight years after he retired. Right, yeah. <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. Um, you know, that... These things get affected. It, it's we shouldn't really lose sleep over it. Uh, good for Tebow for even putting himself into this the discussion because he is yeah. in the discussion. Let's let's get one thing clear. Uh, you know, he these are you know these are big rosters that need to be filled, and he's put himself into that conversation with the way he's played. He has become an above league average bat in the Eastern League, uh, which is a testament to the work he has put in. Uh, you know, he's on the older side for a prospect, wouldn't put him on any prospect list, anything like that. It strikes out way too much for that. But, you know, he's hit well enough in June and he's gotten hot at the right time for him to be placed here. And uh, I'm really interested to see what the circus is going to be like next week in Trenton. Uh, this is not, you know, SEC territory anymore. He's not playing in the Florida State League uh, where everybody's getting excited. Yeah, people might travel for it. Uh, but are the people of Jersey as excited to see Tim Tebow as others? I don't know. We'll find out next week. Jets fans. You get a chance to see him. There again. is Jets fans, yeah. <laughs> Strike three this week, Sam. The first half is behind us uh, all across minor league baseball. Who's your breakout prospect of the first half? There are so many guys who had great seasons among ranked prospects, all that type of stuff. We're kind of going more under the radar with this, and I gave you a name before we got started, and I'm actually going to change mine, of course, because that's what I do. Uh, but who's yours? <laughs> well, we'll keep that name under wraps then, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've got two. The one that I wrote about for – I did a tool shed last week about uh, kind of my picks for Milby's at the beginning, you know, at the midpoint of the season. Like I said, you know, this is the midpoint of the season. We might as well delve into some of the stuff that we talk about at the end of the year. Let's kind of check in on it now. Uh, won't go into the other categories. A lot of it is, is stuff we've already talked about ton, tons of times over. Um, but for breakout prospects, uh, I picked Chris Paddock, who you mentioned in when you talked about the Padres grades being an A. Uh, he has been, you know, a very successful development story for them in the first half. Uh, just to reiterate, 83 strikeouts and only four walks in 52 and a third innings. 
is absolutely nuts. The fact that he has a 2.24 ERA in the Cal League is absolutely crazy, uh, 0.90 whip. Uh, but what makes him kind of a breakout prospect is he didn't pitch at all in 2017. Uh, a lot of people really believed him in him. He's put up dominant numbers everywhere he's gone in the minors. He he was in the Marlins system, uh, you know, drafted in the eighth round back in 2015. Uh, but 2017 underwent Tommy John surgery that knocked him out. How was he going to be able to come back? What was the, you know, the rehab process, the lengthy recovery process going to do to his pitches? As it's turned out, he's better than ever, basically. Uh, and, you know, he's become a top 100, uh, I would say, candidate. MLB.com is going to update their top 100, I believe, at the end of this month. That's usually when they do that. I would love to see his name kind of get included in that. Actually, I think he already is. I take that back. He started out the year outside the top 100. Now he's at number 96. Um, he's now the number eight prospect in that system he started out the year at number 23 because of those health questions uh so you know this is these are the type of jumps you'd like to see out of break, breakout prospects we set last year our pick was ronald acuna uh paddock is kind of doing something similar here at least in terms of health but one other guy i want to talk touch on real fast who kind of underwent a similar issue uh jonathan loy Sega in the yankee system uh he's right now with the yankees he's up in the major leagues uh, actually, he just got optioned back yesterday, uh, but he has made four major league starts this year. 3.0 ERA, 21 strikeouts in 18 innings for the Yanks. Uh, really kind of solidified and held over their major league rotation at a time where they needed that. They had a hole, and he filled it gracefully. Uh, but he started out the year at Class A Advanced Tampa, only threw 32 and two-thirds innings last year because he was himself was coming back from Tommy John surgery. He showed the Yankees enough for them to protect him on the 40 man because uh, he was rule five eligible this year. Not only has he climbed, you know, from class A advanced to double A Trenton to the majors, uh, but has pretty much dominated everywhere he's gone. They optioned him back to triple A Scranton. So that'll be his fourth team of the year already. Uh, but in 10 starts in, in the minors, he's put a, a 3.0 ERA, 58 strikeouts, only four walks. So if you catch a kind of theme here, I'm a big fan of guys who fill up the strike zone, but also do so while getting plenty of strikeouts. Um, and, and for both of these guys to do that after you know significant missed time is is really special and really something to see and can't wait to see what they do over the second half uh low Siga, i expect him to get plenty of more major league looks even if he was just optioned back this week uh paddock are they going to move him up to double a san antonio and really test him uh which is funny to say test somebody outside the california league or you know just how far can you take that k to walk ratio i'll be really excited to see that in the second half so as we sit, kind of sit here at the midpoint of the year those are my two breakout picks tons of time left chances for other guys to break out here in the second half yeah that is definitely true um i uh was gonna go with keegan aiken of the uh baltimore orioles organization who's had a terrific start at the season was named an eastern league all-star um but a guy who popped into my head as we were talking about systems and grades and all that type of stuff austin allen the catching prospect and first base prospect in the san diego padres organization offensively there were not really as many questions about austin allen at all when he came out of school he was the highest drafted player ever to come out of florida tech he was a fourth round pick back in 2015 um this year, 305, 364, 547 has been his slash line um, with Double A San Antonio in the Texas League through 73 games. He's hit 15 homers so far this year, but 
the Padres and people have kind of always questioned whether or not he would be able to stay behind home plate. He's a big bodied guy. He's listed at 6'2", 220. Um, it's difficult to kind of quantify defensively just how guys have been because defensive numbers don't really tell the story nearly as much as offensive numbers can. Um, but the defensive numbers on Austin Allen are very good so far this season. He's got a 998 fielding percentage behind the plate. He's only made one error so far this season in 470 and a third innings behind the plate. And he's also thrown out 38% of potential base stealers which is very good especially at double a uh he's thrown out 28 of 74 runners trying to steal bases against him so Austin Allen I mean that is a system that obviously has been able to graduate and develop some catchers um, in recent years and uh, a guy who has some versatility to move around obviously the Padres are are set for now with Eric Hosmer over at first base but Austin Allen has some experience over there Um, so in that system to be you know talking about somebody who came into the year at number 29 in the organization among prospect rankings now is number 27 and is in the midst of a a campaign that could push him even further up like talk about the rich getting richer prospect wise if you're the Padres right now everybody is putting something together for you this is a really impressive year for that system yeah yeah the fact that we picked two Padres and a Yankees prospect yeah uh, who we all pretty much agreed were top five systems coming into the year kind of speaks to how good those systems are at developing players and it's not just like hey we got this really good guy in the draft and just allowed him to be him right uh, you know they're taking injured players they're taking lower draft picks they're taking whatever and turning them into bona fide prospects and it's not easy but uh these are two of the best at, at doing that right now that development is key. Austin Allen coming into this year, throwing out 19.7% of attempted base dealers against him this year, 37.8%. So that's the type of stuff that you talk about in systems like that. The ability to get guys to continue taking steps forward, developing maybe the more lackluster parts of their game and turning them into more complete players. Um, and so yeah, if you're a fan of either of those teams, uh, you know, I mean, the Yankees, it's about time the Yankees caught a break. Am I right? <laughs> you know, what an, what an undervalued franchise. Hey, um, it, 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 you say that as if you're the one who lives in new york and is that <laughs> is subjected to it constantly yeah um, so that's our uh, our breakout prospect discussion for the first half and it wraps up three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show Coming up next, the July 2nd international signing deadline is just behind us, and Sam got a chance to catch up with the 13th-ranked prospect in the Texas Rangers organization, right-handed pitcher Jonathan Hernandez, newly of the Frisco Rough Riders in AA, and talk a little bit about Jonathan's signing story out of the Dominican Republic and a whole lot more. Sam and Jonathan Hernandez from the Texas Rangers coming up next. Joining us this week on the Show Before the Show podcast is number 13 prospect in the Texas Rangers system. Probably won't be number 13 for long. Definitely having a very strong season. Uh, we'll be moving up the rankings shortly. Uh, is Jonathan Hernandez, uh, now the AA Frisco Rough Riders. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thank you. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, so let's get a, a little bit into what your season has been like. You started out at Class A Advanced Down East. Uh, you get promoted to Frisco about a month ago uh, in early June. Uh, you know, what was that time like with Down East? You, you ended the year there last year, but really broke out, it felt like, this time. Uh, 2.20 ERA and 77 strikeouts in 57 and third innings. Uh, what were you able to do th- there in those first couple months to really get your season off to a strong start? It was a really good experience. You know, being there last year, knowing the league, and then coming back this year was a lot of easier for me, you know, to pitch how I need to pitch on that league, you know. So it was a good experience being there with all the guys and 
you know, learning about each other every time and learning about learning more about the game too. Yeah, and how is your uh, in terms of your pitches? You know, people talk out, but your velocity has kind of ticked up in the last couple of years. You're now throwing mid nineties. Uh, your slider has been really strong, and your changeups developing well. What were you able to do pitch wise in those first couple months in Down East that allowed you to strike out so many guys? Just put away that when I need it. You know, years before I don't have that kind of mindset or that kind of pitches that I can put away the guys right away I get to two strikes, you know. So every time I get to two strikes now, I have my pitch already set, you know. So doesn't matter like what kind of foul ball you give me. I just saw what situation I am and, you know, I just have to execute a very good pitch every time I'm going out. Yeah, and let's get into what it's been like for your time in Frisco. You made four starts with them. Uh, you know, what were you expecting about Double A? And it's kind of been a rough ride a little bit for you. You got a ERA above six, but it, you, it seemed like you kind of figured things out in your last outing, uh, going six strong innings. Uh, what has been the learning curve, and what have you learned most about yourself as a pitcher so far in Double A? You know, before that, I think the biggest thing was that I was getting behind the hitters. You know, trying to do too much, thinking too much about what this hit is going to do, you know, and just letting it happen. So in my last outing, I just take that out of my mind and just pitch how I know to do, you know. And then this guy, you know, was a great, great outing for me personally that I can bounce back from those three that I had before and give the team a really good chance to win the game. So I was happy with the work that I did, and I, I hope to look forward to the next one. Yeah, and just to run through what you did do in that outing, you gave up only two runs on three hits and struck out six and, and six and two-thirds innings, your longest double-A outing so far. I just want to go back to what you were saying at the start of that. and you know, When you did get promoted to double-A, how much are you thinking, like, this is as close as I've ever been to the majors, I'm only two stops away now. How much does that kind of get on you and, and into your kind of brain going into the that debut with Frisco? You know, when I get here, I was like, I, I like, I didn't believe it till the day that I went to pitch. You know, really excited to myself and really proud of myself too to be here today. And you know, kind of my first outing, you know, kind of bad outings, but I was learning about it. Each one, each one, I was learning take the good things that I made and the bad bad things too. I was learning about each one, you know. So picking one, picking two things about every game, you know, want to make me more successful, like in the road. So I think the difference between here and down east, I think it's more, more maturity, you know. Here, you want to play with grown men, you know, so you're not going to be messing around like like you're going to be there, like, oh, let me throw a fastball here, and they're going to swing it. No, like, here, they're going to wait for the pitch that they want, you know, like, you are, like you say, two steps clo step closer to the major league, so you want to be here, you know, you want to see here a lot of prospects, like, top prospects that, you know, they are really good. Right, right. Well, let's kind of take a couple steps back. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show this week is, you know, 
July 2nd is a big day on the baseball calendar. It's when international prospects from around the world, basically outside of the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Canada, can start signing with teams, uh, you know, for their age 16 seasons. Uh, you're somebody who went through that process being a native of the Dominican Republic. You signed with the Rangers back in January of 2013. Uh, what do you remember about that process? What was it like? You know, you, you don't go through the draft. It's not like you get taken with a pick or something like that. Uh, you have a signing bonus. You signed with the Rangers. I think it was $300,000. Uh, what was that whole process like that eventually got you to sign with the Rangers in January 2013? Yes, yes, you're right. Uh, it was a little tough, you know, with a lot of the. It's, I, I call it like this. That's how I call it. I call it roll with a lot of bumps, you know. So you're going to be with a lot of up and downs. I I went, you know, on that kind of moment, um, early in my career, when I start, you know, that kind of age, like 15, 16 years old, that I was throwing like 86, 88. And, you know, everybody that I went to showcases, everybody was like 89, 93, and I was like, wow, I need to throw like them, you know? So I was working hard every day with my dad, and, you know, thanks God, gave me the opportunity to be playing baseball and, you know, develop so quick. And then when I, when I signed, I remember I would pitch like twice in a week, I remember. Yeah, twice in a week. And I was really excited, you know. I didn't believe it. And my dad was like, yeah, you want to sign? And I was like, no, because that's a dream come true for the kids in Dominican, you know, when they have 16 years old, they want to be a professional. Like, And I grew up, you know, in a baseball path. So I've been watching baseball for a long time, and I was watching all those guys play in the Winter League and getting beside my dad a lot. So, you know, his friends playing best when I was like, oh, you know, they're playing double and they're playing the big league. So, you know, that was kind of, kind of thing that get, get, like gave me more, uh, like more, like every time I saw those guys, like I just want to be like being better, being better every day. <laughs> Yeah, and it, you've mentioned your dad a couple times. We should explain to, to people listening right now. Your dad was from, or is Fernando Hernandez, who still is a yes. bullpen coach in the Dominican Winter League, somebody you work with closely. Uh, one of our writers had a good story about you and your relationship with your dad uh, you yes. know, a couple months back. Andrew Batterferrano, people should look that up. But, um, you know, you mentioned it, it was kind of a tough road because the velocity wasn't there. And like I mentioned, you signed yep. in January. I feel like guys, once the – gates open they're signing july 2 uh what was that process like was your dad doing a lot of speaking on your behalf reaching out to teams or um you know what was that mo couple months break like where between you knew that this was the first day you could sign and then it took months until you could actually sign your first contract well my dad my and i have an agent at that time so my dad and my agent they was you know getting together and talking about all the offers that i have i you know, I didn't know because they they just want me to to work more hard every day, you know, and don't focus on that. That was their part. So, on that kind of months that I went, I went through, I was, you know, getting getting myself more ready than I was before. Like the people see me when I was like my birthday is July six, so I went sixteen in July six, two thousand twelve. 
so <clears throat> the people was waiting, you know, for me to, my, well, my dad more was waiting for me to, uh, for my birthday, the 16th birthday, so he can show me more, you know, so that people can go and interest in more. So those kind of months that I took from July to January was more to getting ready, get myself ready for, you know, for the next July 2nd. Mm. But, you know, I got that offer before, I got a couple offers before, but my dad and me, like, get together and decide with, and decide with the Rangers. So was it just the, the offer that was best at the time, or was there something the Rangers did that kind of talked you into joining at that point and not waiting for the next July 2? No, I, I, I just like the organization, you know, and I just, I just was waiting for somebody to give me a, you know, a good offer, and I see this like a good offer, so I took it, and I just was waiting for the right moment because I say, and then at, at that time, I was turning around and I told my dad, hey, I just want to be a professional. I don't mind how many money they gave me. I just want to be a professional, you know, so right. I, I knew that, like, I don't knew, but my dad was telling me, you know, getting my mindset right, and he was telling me, you want to be a, you want to be a great pitcher, you want to have a, a good future, so let's do this, and you want to work more hard every day and push yourself every time you're going out. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do that, so here I am today. Right, yeah, and uh, jumping from you know where you were then, like you said, you were throwing 86, 88, and then now you're throwing mid-90s. When did it feel like that velocity really kicked in for you in, in terms of the elite gas you have now, not just you know the mid-90s that or the lower 90s around you know 89, 92, whatever that some of the guys were doing when you were 16, to where you are now, you know, throwing mid-90s pretty consistently? Yeah. That came, I remember, my first outing in 2016 in Lowe, Hickory. I was playing against Canapolis, and I was pitching, boom, 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 and I feel myself like I, I was touching before. I was touching 95 a couple times. And that game, I was 93, 97, and I was like, wow. Like, what I have those. You know, but every time I go into my offseason, I think that's the biggest word that you can do work so hard in your season. That's that's the preparation for 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 now, you know. Mm-hmm. For this kind of moment when you are on this like this kind of type seasons, like long seasons, on this time like June, Egos, you know, July Egos. So the bar is getting a little tired. So that's why we were so hard on my off season. And then that year my velocity picked up. Like I didn't know that. In the spring training, I was like 91, 94. And then I get to lower, and I was like 93, 97. And I was, oh. And then next year, the same. And I was like, oh, I want to I want to keep doing the same thing, you know? <laughs> so I can keep, you know, keep going up. And then, you know, now I have a pretty good average fastball. And, you know, I can sometimes I play with it. You know, like soft, hard, soft, hard. But sometimes I, I just go in hard, 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 because that's the kind of thing that put my my rhythm, you know, going. If I try to, you know, put that thing more slower, like I I don't I don't know how to do with mechanically and all the stuff. Like when my tempo is like my rhythm is like slow, 
I just need to go like boom, 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 getting, getting quick, getting quick, getting quick, so my arm can go loose, loose, loose every time. Right, right. And, and pivoting to one of your other pitchers is the slider. Uh, you know, I've seen people call it a wipeout slider. A lot of people think it's become a plus pitch now. Uh, how did that develop? What were you doing with that? You know, was it working with your dad? Was it something the Rangers did with you? Uh, how are you able to make the slider such a good pitch for you now? Well, my dad threw a pretty good slider. So last year at home, I remember, like in November, that's kind of when I started doing my program now. So we was at a stadium and he said like, oh, I want you to use this letter to strike out people. And I said, yeah, I have it, but you know, I don't know how to use it. Every time, 2000, well, 2017, I use it like at the end, I was getting it, but you know, was was at the end. So what about the beginning? And last year when I, when I went to my, to my office and we was working a lot on that, and the Rangers helped me too, the pitching coaches helped me, you know, how to, how to throw in a good, good position, good location, so I can get, can get more swinging misses. And my dad was working too hard with me in my offseason, you know, getting that slider chart for the, for the season. And uh, let's talk about two experiences you've had in, in, in the last year, uh, one of which was, you know, last November, uh, you got added to the 40-man roster. You know, as somebody who did start your career kind of choppy and, and waiting for offers to come and now officially to be on a major league roster, be invited to major league spring training, uh, what was that call like when you finally got, you know, heard you were added to the 40-man last November? Man, it was... I remember it was like three-something afternoon. I was in the stadium about to work out with my dad. I remember like, I never going to forget that moment. It was a really good moment for me and my family. And I was, I remember I was sitting in a chair, tying my shoes, and I and I feel my phone is vibrating. And I was like, and then I picked up the phone and I saw, you know, who's calling me. And I told my dad, hey, look, look, look who's calling. And we was watching that, like, everybody was getting on the phone <laughs> last night and all that stuff. And he said, like, well, picked up the call. You don't know what happened. Right. And when I picked up the call and, you know, they gave me the, the notice, I was really excited, you know. I kind of don't believe it. I was like, wow, I can't believe, like, five, five, four years before, I don't want thinking on being in, you know, on that, and now that that happened, I was really excited, you know, really, really emotional too, with my dad, you know, we was hoping to something happen. So, you know, it was a really good moment, really good experience, being on that major league camp too, you know, learning about all those guys, those veteran guys that are there around me. Yeah, and one other experience you got to have before that was uh, you got to go to the Futures game last year in Miami. Uh, I was at that game. I remember you came in. You were the last pitcher off the world team bench. Uh, got two pitches in against Ryan McMahon, two 95-mile-an-hour fastballs, got him to fly out to center, and your day was kind of done. But what was that experience like getting the invite, You know, getting to be put on that you know, kind of international stage and, and – seeing how you measure up against some of those guys on that Team USA team or world team or all of that. Uh, you know, Futures game's coming up soon for everybody else. 
but what was your experience like last year in Miami? Well, it was really good. You know, being around a lot of talented guys, you know, it was really good experience. And that was another thing that I didn't believe it. You know, that I was there until I went to the hotel and, I, and my dad arrived on the night. And then, like, we were talking in the room and I said, like, I can't believe it, I'm I'm, I'm here, you know. That, those kind of things that I saw before on people, you know. And I was thinking that was too far for me. They are close than I think. They are more close than what I think, you know. So, last year, I remember I was, we was in Downey's. We was taking BP. And... One one of those days, I was talking with the guys like, "Oh, you see the guys like how good they look and playing for the war in the USA," and the guy was, "Yeah, yeah, they look good." And I was like, "Well, we hope somebody of those, you know, can be can be there." And then a few weeks later, you know, they tell me that I'm going there. I was that was <laughs> a really exciting moment. The kind of called like, shock in a way. A yeah, I, I was in shock. I was in shock, man. <laughs> when when they told me that, I was like. No, 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 I'm not going there. And I called my dad, and he was like, no, you don't go in there. And I said, yeah, I'm going. And I said, okay, I'm going to buy you a flight the night before, so you can go there and watch me. He said, okay, when you got a flight, I'm going to see if that's that true. I was, okay. <laughs> you know, when I bought the flight, he said, oh, but, oh, but the thing is true. And I said, yeah, I told you. You, know, <laughs> you don't buy that, that was a really good experience. plane tickets, yeah. No, that's a good way of doing it. All right, Jonathan, we'll, we'll send you on your way with this one. Uh, just to kind of close on this note, you brought up your dad a ton. You just did it again there. Uh, for those who don't know, your dad pitched an inning in the third over two games with the Detroit Tigers in 1997, the year after you were born. Uh, have you ever talked to him about – or is there any kind of, like, bragging rights on the line? You know, you are on a major league roster technically with the 40-man now. You're two stops away of – you know, the potential of you pitching more in the major leagues than he, he did. Have you guys ever kind of dreamed of that, about that or joked about that, of who would have the longer career? Yeah, man, we're always joking around. Like, you see my dad and me, and you want to say, like, oh, you are, you are, like, you are your dad and you are his dad or his son. Like, the people don't know a lot because, you know, we were joking a lot. We're joking a lot every time we get together, you know, laughing and all the stuff. And all the time, I'm telling him, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be better than you. And he said, yeah, that's what I want, you know. <laughs> right. You know, that, that that's a you know great moment that you have with your dad. And, that, and see, he told me sometimes, like, I just want you to be better than me. I just was exactly, I don't know, exactly like two weeks on the Billies, a month, I don't know. We never talk about it a lot, you know, because he don't want to. Like, we don't talk about that because he has better mother than dogs, you know. So he always telling me, like, I, ju I just want you to be a successful pitch, you know, more than what I was. So I want you to, you know, to encourage and being better than me and stay on the biggest more longer than I did. And I say, you know, that's what I want. You know, been there for a long time. Right. Like, those guys did it. Right. Well, like we said, you're two stops away now, and it's, you know, being on the 40 man, you're just one kind of roster move away from making that happen. So, uh, Jonathan Hernandez, thanks so much for joining us, and, and good luck the rest of the way in Frisco or wherever the the rest of the 2018 season takes you. Thank you, man. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Big.
Benjamin Hill joins us to discuss the business of minor league baseball and all other things. Uh, what, what are your 4th of July plans today, Ben? Uh, it's to hang out with Sam Dykstra in the office. We are literally the only two people here. He is sitting to my left in an empty cubicle <laughs> between where we sit every day. Um, are you so this is a, two, you have a middle, like a cubicle between the two of you that's empty? Yes, yeah. we are in what I would call a little six-pack of cubicles okay. with three on each side. Five are occupied. The one that is not occupied is between Sam and I. I'm hard off the wall, and Sam's uh, on the, the aisle, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I got the aisle seat. Um, you know, we're pretty cramped back here. It's uh, full capacity here at the Chelsea Market, but this is such an exciting day. We're just at our desk. There's no one here. We can talk as loud as we want. There's no one else yelling, which is key for me. I'm very easily disrupted. And we're just surrounded by all our memorabilia. Well, mostly my memorabilia. All Sam has his memorabilia is a drawer with about 450 pennies in it. That's not true. I have a very decorated Wait, what? Desk. Thank you. What is the penny so, story? Sam has a drawer with at least 450 pennies. That's not what? It's not 450 pennies. I just – I take my change out. You know, I get lunch every day and I take my change and I put it in the thing. And I usually – you know, the vending machines here take nickels, dimes, quarters, whatever. So – but they don't take pennies. So the pennies have just oh collected God. over – Six oh, and a half years of his job. So you just got yeah. like a glut of when are you going to cash those in? I whenever Somewhere. I can find a coin star in the Chelsea area. Yeah. So whenever Sam opens his top right drawer, it looks like it's just going to tip everything <laughs> just, over because it's, it's just weighted in the around. front with just tons of pennies. I'm going to close this. <laughs> stop. This can stop being a talking. Point. Oh man, that is fantastic. Um, well, uh, you know, it's a it's a Fourth of July coin, Sam. It's uh, President Lincoln and uh, and all the. The things that go along with the yes, top President registry. Lincoln, who was definitely around for Fourth of, of July. Hey, man, freedom and uh, and you know fighting for the cause of liberty. It's it's all it's all intertwined. Get out of here with your. With your slander. Um, All right, well, let's dive in. Um, Ben's got a story up on the site right now and on the road story from earlier this week about the Lake County captains. And um, there's kind of a cool tradition in Lake County, which people seem to find love in the Lake County front office. Tell us about this story, Ben. Well, yeah, I wrote a story about a couple, uh, Amy and Tim, Amy Glado and uh, Tim O'Brien, who are slated to get married uh, at the end of September. Um, They met working for the Lake County Captains, and they are the eighth couple in the last... 16 years to meet uh, in the captain's front office and get married. Uh, so my story is about them and uh, them specifically, but kind of I wanted to hit on a broader theme, just using these two as an example that, um, you know, we don't have official statistics, but I would say, and I think most people who work in minor league baseball would say, um, you are much more likely to meet a significant other at the workplace in a minor league baseball front office than most other jobs uh, because you work so much and because your hours are different than anyone else's. Uh, you spend a lot of time with the people you work with and you have anomalous hours that makes it hard to even see other people in the free time you do have. Uh, you make strong connections and um, you never know. Romance might be in the air. So I wish that we did have the statistics. I'm going to commission a study on um, – relationships forged within minor league baseball front offices but i'd have to say eight and 16 years in lake county is a pretty pretty good rate and uh congrats to amy and tim uh who september 29th will be united as one in the bonds of holy matrimony so what about their story how did you kind of find them how did this kind of get pointed out to you that did you know about like the other seven couples and you're just like oh there's an eighth now or in your visit to lake county how was this kind of pointed out to you yeah well you know when i go on these road trips this was the first stop on my previous road trip uh, a couple weeks ago and uh 
you know, I'm always looking for stories because that's what I do when I go on the road is look for stories. So I was talking to uh, Neil Stein, the GM, just about this and that and just kind of, uh, you know, probing, putting out feelers, looking for for angles. And uh, he mentioned, you know, we, we have had a bunch of people get married here. And I said, perfect. <laughs> uh, and and uh, so I ended up talking to those two because they were the only two working right now in the front office. And Amy Glado, Glado, G-L-A-D-I-E-U-X. French Canadian, <laughs> if I ever saw one. Um, she uh, is now just a game day employee. She went on to another full-time job. And then, in fact, they didn't even uh, announce officially their relationship until just after she announced uh, that she was leaving because I don't think they wanted to deal with that in the front office. But uh, as they said, once they made their relationship official, everyone was basically like, yeah. Like, yeah, we duh, knew. We yeah. knew, you know. I think that's kind of how it goes. You can't hide love. Love comes out. <laughs> love you know, conquers you can, all. Love, love yeah, conquers all. You get anything from this podcast is that you cannot hide love. That is right. <laughs> and you can't hurry love either. You just have to wait. It doesn't come easy, and it's a game of give and take. <laughs> they didn't want to I do know that's that. a lyric, but what is it? I, I want to say Huey Lewis, but I don't think that's true. What is Sam it? wants to say that that is Huey Lewis. <laughs> Tyler, who do you want to say that that is? I know it's way older than Huey Lewis, but I can't. Uh, is that Gladys Knight and the Pips? I think so. Or the is Supremes. It? Oh, I'm thinking of the power of love. I'm sorry. Yeah. Which is a huge. You can't hurry, love. You just have to wait. Uh, love yeah. don't come, come easy. Because it's, it's a game, game of give and take. Give and take. Hey. Uh, you can't. I should know who that is. This podcast yeah. is now just a duet podcast. From here on, Ben and I are yeah. just going to sing. We're not talking about baseball or anything. We take requests. Hit us up on Twitter <laughs> at Tyler Mon at Ben's Biz. Uh, what song are we? What are we going to sing next in episode 168? Yeah. Tune in to find out. Um, ben, there's also a, a story. One of the most unique and creative identities in the Copa de la Diversion in 2018 is the Eugene Emeralds, who are the Monarchus de Eugene and named after the monarch butterfly, which is a this is a, a story and a, um, a an identity that comes with a lot of symbolism and a lot of kind of powerful messaging behind it. The monarch butterfly has become a, a symbol of peaceful migration, especially in North America because of what the actual butterfly does, uh, but peaceful migration across borders for people and all that type of stuff. And Alan Benavides, the general manager of Eugene, put so much work into this identity for what Eugene's Copa identity would be. Um, and tell us about this story because this is a really fascinating there are so many interesting stories that go along with these team names and logos and the uniforms and all that stuff but this one might be the most unique and the most fascinating well yeah when this was announced you know along with the other 32 copa identities um, this one stood out to me and i always kind of wanted to explore a little deeper Um, and the reason i'm writing a story now is because you know the eugenes um the eugenes the eugene emeralds um uh, every tuesday are are playing as the Monarchs this season. And so their July 3rd game, you know, they're not home on July 4th, so their July 3rd game was a Tuesday. And so they decided to have July 4th jerseys, but July 4th Monarchs jerseys, Monarchs jerseys. So it's essentially the alternate identity of an alternate identity. It's the July 4th version of the alternate Monarch identities. And that's where we are in the world of minor league baseball. but it is a really cool identity. Alan Benavides um, is from Nicaragua. Is not from Nicaragua. His parents are Nicaraguan, um, you know, first generation immigrants. Um, so he, you know, is really tied into this story. Um, and I think he wanted to make a bit of a statement. You know, in minor league baseball, you know, you're not putting politics first. And it's I think a little sad where we are right now that a story is 
um, to me, simple as celebrating American diversity and all the different countries come come from could be construed as pers- um, you know, political. Uh, but they wore jerseys, you know, just with the Statue of Liberty, with the monarch butterfly elements celebrating the patterns of migration of the, mig- uh, the monarch butterfly. Uh, quotes from uh, Emma Lazarus, the Colossus, um, you know, that are inscribed at the base of the Statue of Liberty. And, uh, you know, the, the, the story that so many of the players themselves come from other countries and just kind of an overall celebration of the American uh, cultural tableau that I think maybe sometimes we take for granted or don't think about um, just how many uh, races, colors, creeds are uh, in this country and uh, continue to want to come here for a better life. And, um, you know, I think if Copa de la Diversion is celebrating the diversity of the fan base or um, the extent to which it can become diversified, I think we really need to celebrate the stories of the people that we want to bring to the ballpark. And I think Eugene's really doing that well uh, with the monarch identity. And I'm writing a story about that right now. And, you know, this is the halfway point of this kind of Copa de la Diversión initiative, I guess. Uh, it's something we talked a lot about in the spring. You know, as we kind of check in, you're honing in here on Eugene, but either in your travels or your talks with other teams, how are these first, you know, three months or so of the, these promotions gone? you feel like, you know, we said if this was going to be successful, maybe it'll be expanded even deeper next year. Do you feel like we're kind of on that track? I, I Absolutely. I can't give you any official facts and figures, but anecdotally, and I've heard this again and again, is teams being surprised by how successful these um, alternate Spanish language identities are. And I think you're going to want to you're going to be seeing a lot more teams getting involved with it next year. The teams that are involved finding ways to improve on it, um, you know, from a strictly dollars and cents uh, standpoint, I, I, I think I can't verify this, but I think a lot of teams are doing more merchandise sales with their Copa identities than they are with. Um, you know, they're just standard daily identities. Um, so great revenue. Um, but I think the main thing is obviously to diversify the fan base, because if you look at the demographics of any given minor league market and then look at the demographics of who's in the ballpark, it almost never matches up to the diversity of the neighborhood in question. So I think this is a great start on that. And you're seeing some teams draw their best crowds of the year on these nights. Um, you know, Albuquerque was a specific example. They drew something like 16,000 people for their first uh, Copa night. Um, the mariachi themed uh, logo and team name i'm blanking on the specifics of the name mariachi's um, de nuevo mexico mexico I knew, thank you tyler i knew you'd be right on it <laughs> i um, just love that they changed new mexico in it to nuevo i think that's a really cool little uh little tweak in there too yeah and there's so many cool elements i think minor league baseball um you know deserves who spearheaded this you know minor league baseball the head office proper you know st petersburg florida um it was the individuals in the office who who really spearheaded this coordinated it uh got the teams on board and now you're seeing it really be successful and i think it's only going to grow from here and i think that's a great thing all around that's a really cool initiative and uh i think by the end of the year we're going to be surprised that people were surprised with the success of it. You know what I mean? And like you said, the the demographics inside a ballpark don't necessarily reflect the demographics of a community. And so I think when it's all said and done and we realize, oh, no, this is a community that was going to embrace this in large part. I don't think people should be surprised at how successful this is. Maybe surprised that it took this long for this to be such a wide-ranging initiative. And minor league baseball has done a really, really great job with it. And uh, there could very well be a, a Copa team playing near you coming up soon or, uh, or one coming up in 2019 that's going to jump on board this program which is a really neat one for minor league baseball in 2018 and heading into beyond uh benjamin hill is on twitter he is at ben's biz the blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com and uh hey enjoy the rest of the day in that relaxed office and let me know uh what songs you want to practice for next week
Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll be in touch, Tyler, and we'll coordinate. Um, I- I want every day to be like I want every day to be July Fourth because it's so nice and pleasant here. Basically, all I want to do is just work with Sam every day. So oh, uh, let's work on you. that. I don't blame you. That's a good spin on that. Yeah, but in the meantime, I just need like seven cents. So if you could reach into yeah. there and uh, look me up. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and anywhere else you find podcasts. You can catch up with past episodes there and also at MILB.com slash podcast. And uh, before we get out of here, as we do every week, we tell you what we're watching this weekend on MILB.tv and into next week. Um, Sam, uh, what's on your mind for this week and next week? Yeah, normally we do like weekend games to watch because those are the most immediate and uh, you know, when we assume you guys are listening to this, but save this one for next week. Uh, it'll be probably, it'll be before our next show. We got to figure out how we're going to do the show next week, but, uh, next Wednesday, I will be at the Eastern league all-star game. As I mentioned, uh, our fellow writer, Kelsey Hannigan will also be there. Uh, and that Eastern league all-star game will be on mill TV. So I won't be watching it on mill TV. I will be watching it in live and in color. Uh, from the press box, but uh, that that'll be a lot of fun for our, all the names we mentioned before. Tebow will be there. You'll get to see his first All Star appearance. Uh, but Bo Bichette, Brendan Rodgers, Brian Hayes, uh, Bo Burrows—you know—a lot of top 100 prospects we talked about before here on the show will all be competing against each other and and on one screen. So uh, that game starts uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern time next Wednesday, July 11th. Uh, it should be a lot of fun, and hopefully, like I said, we'll have somebody from from the All Star Game as next week's podcast guest. Um, so you'll get a little preview, uh, you know, watch them on Mill TV, and then hear about them or hear from them later when the podcast goes up ne- later next week. We talked about uh, International League All-Stars, I think, a little bit last week. The Pacific Coast League also released their All-Star roster, and the AAA All-Star game is coming up on the 11th as well, and you can find that at MILB.tv. There are some interesting names on that AAA roster on the Pacific Coast League side. Kyle Tucker is one of three top 100 prospects, along with Alex Verdugo and Luis Arias, who is uh, a guy who... Just everywhere he goes, puts up the exact same line, it seems like, in the Padres organization. He's with El Paso, Verdugo, of course, with Oklahoma City, and Kyle Tucker with Fresno. Um, Jabari Blash will also be there. Jabari Blash owns approximately 79 home runs so far this year. No, like 22 home runs so far this year, but Jabari Blash has just been crushing the ball all over the place, and a guy who was formerly a ranked prospect, um, one of the very few prospects in minor league baseball who hails from the Virgin Islands. Uh, he is from St. Thomas, is Jabari Blash, and now 29 years old, but has gotten some time up in the major leagues this year. Um, with the Los Angeles Angels. Formerly a Mariners prospect was drafted by the Mariners back in 2010 that was in the Padres system for a little while but he's been really fun to watch so far this year Um, and so the AAA all-star game coming up from Huntington Park in Columbus Ohio the uh, host site of the all-star game this year the uh, top 100 prospects on the other side for the International League Colby Allard the Atlanta Braves pitching prospect and the hometown guy who will get a chance to play in front of his uh, his fans in Columbus is Francisco Mejia the catching prospect in the Cleveland organization and uh, remember that triple a columbus roster right now and he'll be on the international league side for the all-star game in triple a coming up on the 11th and uh that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show our biggest thanks to you for tuning in enjoy the rest of this holiday week hopefully you get some time off get a chance to have some fun for the weekend and uh we'll be back with you next week wrapping up some uh, all-star games and getting you set for the start of the second half really in uh in its official capacity i guess it's already underway but 
once we get out of the all-star breaks is really when it starts kicking into high gear for uh, second half playoff races and all that type of stuff and we'll be back to get you all ready for it coming next week thanks for tuning in we'll talk to you then yeah.